Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman, and I'm here with Jennifer White. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, So our topic for this morning's intro is uh, if your pet could talk, what would your pet or pets, in your case, say to you? Ooh. Um, well, I say since I have two, uh, I, they would say very distinct and different things. Do you I, count I think, the chipmunks that run into your house, the dog door? They're not pets. They're our overlords <laughs> and rulers. That's different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they 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 run the house. Uh, no, I I have one dog who would constantly like a military drill sergeant tell me how lazy I am and it's not because I'm lazy but it's because she by her standards I'm totally lazy and I'm not walking her as much as I should and the other one is yeah exactly and the other one is the complete opposite that she would be like Mm -hmm. let me encourage you to open up the kitchen cabinets and let's eat all the snacks together on the couch (laughs) dog has zero self-control she like got into infamously last year we had left some hot dogs out after a party like a backyard party and she ate so many she couldn't finish all of them and was carrying one around the house and like her little belly was like bloated full but she wouldn't let go of that hot dog and she was so sick for days afterwards I had to carry her everywhere so um gluttonous little beast we'll just say (laughs) what about you what would yours say Oh, I mean, we talk for him kind of like Frozen style. You know, Krista speaks for the um, reindeer. What what does he have? I forget. Uh, Reindeer, yeah. So we we often do that for for Teddy. We're like, guys, why aren't you feeding me? Walk me now. Um, But then I'll do that for other uh, animals or inanimate objects. And I'll be like, why does that whatever sound like Teddy? (laughs) Like (laughs) my alternative voice. I need to work on different voices. Um, yes you need yeah, to talk with more voices yeah like the basics i think of like walk me feed me do as i say pet my belly yeah dog i mean maybe um, he'd have deeper philosophical thoughts but i don't know i don't think either of mine i mean maybe they do maybe i'm not giving them enough credit for things but uh my my definitely have different statements they would make but maybe not very deep yeah um, but on to the reason we're here to listen to our great guest. Welcome, Kayla Widener, to the show. Kayla, thank you for joining us. Um, brief introduction before I let Kayla speak, but she is a six-time egg donor, and she works as an egg donor coordinator with an agency, Loop Genesis. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Kayla, how about we start with what inspired you to become an egg donor? Where were you in your life at that time? And what kind of introduced you to the whole thought process or the whole area? So I had actually heard something about it in high school, but I went to a private Christian school at the time. And I think what I had heard about it was something negative. Um, But once I graduated, I looked Mm-hmm. That's so that's once, really interesting. I feel sorry. So, I feel so isolated. What did you hear that was negative? So a lot of different things. I think one of the things was with being having stored embryos and discarding of them or just having the stored embryos regardless frozen. 
was, you know, considered a form of abortion or. Oh, wow. So it was, it wasn't even about egg donation necessarily, just IVF generally. Mm-hmm. Just wow. the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> so that, that, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just think that's fascinating. And were there other other aspects of that negative um, introduction to it? It was very brief, but at the time I didn't feel that way. And yeah. I knew that this was something I potentially later on wanted to come back to. And I did. And about I was about 20 years old and I was nannying. And I have three younger siblings who I adore and I know how much family means to me and with nannying and just being around kids my whole life, I knew I wanted to help other people create families as well. And so I had looked back into it and I found fertility specialists of Texas. That's it's about 10 minutes from my house. Yeah. And I had no idea anything about agencies or in-house clinic programs or anything. I just found their website and I saw they had a rainbow right at the top of their page. And I was like, okay, this is the one I want to do. Um, And I I knew I had an interest in working with gay men, but I didn't know at the time that that was something that I could request or something that I could have a preference or a say in as well. I just saw the rainbow and I was like, you know, this is what I want. So maybe, just maybe chances are that this will happen. And, and can I, I ask? Can I ask a little bit more background on on that? Mm-hmm. So, when you were in high school and they're like embryos are abortion, were mm-hmm. they also kind of educating openness towards all forms of families, like gay couples and other parents? Oh no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Was there something particular that drew you to wanting to work with a gay couple? Mm-hmm. So, yes, I am also a part of the LGBTQ community, but I just. I knew that one of the preferences I knew I also had was I wanted to be an open donor. And Mm -hmm. I felt that, you know, maybe being a donor for a gay family that might be more accessible than a couple who wasn't that. I wasn't necessarily sure because everything was completely new to me and I didn't know anything about it. But for some reason I was like, well, you know, if there's two dads, they have to explain where, the kid mm. came from so <laughs> right? so so maybe there's a chance I could be included in this and I also just wanted to help the community and I love gay men so I was like let's do that <laughs> I love it and so what did that you reached out to a fertility clinic because they had a rainbow mm-hmm. how did it look mm-hmm. from there so I had applied with like a pre-screening at fertility specialist of Texas. And within a couple of hours, I had like, I had like a a pre-approval. I think it was just like automated, um, a pre-approval email and I filled out the rest of the application. And then shortly after that, I had a call. And then shortly after that, I was in the office and getting things started. Wow. I, I think people often expect a delay. What kind of time period was that? Was it a matter of days or weeks that you you were um, working with? Oh, this is a good question. That's something interesting to look back on. I know that it happened very quickly. It yeah. I know that within a week of applying, I had gone to the clinic for a consultation. Wow. Then, mm-hmm, within a week of that even, 
I was matched. Wow, that seems really fast. And mm-hmm. was it a gay couple? Had you said something? Yes. No. Okay. So it was. It just happened to work exactly perfect. Like just. Oh. I yeah. I so I didn't ask because I didn't know that that was an option, and I had applied and then done all of these things and I was just really hoping in the back of my mind that that would be the case but again I had no idea I could request that and my coordinator who I really 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 loved she called me and she told me hey you know I know it's only been a week but we actually have a match for you but I did want to let you know that it is to gay men is that something you're okay with and I was like oh my goodness, are you serious? You're like, like okay, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. Like, I can't believe it. And uh-huh. it was, it, yeah. It, so it just went from there and it was amazing. I, they, she had asked me a week later if I was okay with having a Zoom call with them. And I was like, no way, I get to meet them too. And so it just <laughs> happened that all of my preferences played out exactly how wow. I wanted. And I could, mm-hmm. I couldn't have asked for a better first cycle. The couple and their son now are amazing. And I got, I knew that based on that experience, I wanted all of my donations uh, after that to follow the same. And I got to request that as well for my next cycles, because I knew that was an option just based on the coincidences of all the firsts. Wow. And how did the different cycles vary? Like, did you, it sounds like one thing is you were being very vocal about what you wanted. Were there other things that you learned or changed when you went forward Mm -hmm. with the next cycle each time? There were a few things that I changed. I, so I, I, like I said, I had had the match within a week and then I started moving forward the process immediately I had the Zoom, fell in love with them, and then I had, I hadn't even started injections or anything for my first cycle when I got an email saying that there was a second family potentially interested, and wow. I was like, oh my goodness, that's great, but at that point, that's when I kind of spoke up, and I was like, does it happen to be a gay couple? I would really prefer to only work with gay men you know, moving forward. And they were, they came back and had said no. And I was like, okay, you know, that's okay. And then I got an email a couple of hours later and they were like, oh my goodness, we made a mistake. It actually is a gay couple. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what? Yeah. That's funny. Um, I was like, okay, well, this is great. I'm not sure what happened there. I was like, I'm, how do you make that mistake? I, but okay. Right. <laughs> because I had been emailing two different coordinators, I think. And maybe there was just a mix up between communication or something at the time. I'm not entirely sure, but I was like, okay, great. But she did let me know that it was a couple in China and that it was an anonymous cycle, but I was okay with that because of it not being in the States. So that is my only anonymous donation out of all six. Um, but I actually hyperstimulated very badly oh, my no. first cycle. So I, they weren't sure if I was going to come back for the second cycle that I had already agreed to do, but I had an amazing support system at the clinic and my coordinator and nurse at the time was amazing and so supportive and took care of me. So talking about that, because I think that's something that a lot of people either gloss over the risk of, or don't know what it would really be like if that happened. Okay. So I, 
for the first consultation that I spoke about going to, I sat down and I had a contract in front of me of documents to sign and I had to sign off on a 2% risk of this happening. And I looked at the paper and literally laughed and said, this is not going to be me. Of course, I'm going to sign this. Who cares? Whatever. 2%. Yeah, right. Right. Signed it. And then looking back, I'm like, of course, I laughed at this document that warned me. But um, I, I did overstimulate pretty bad. I ended up having to have a second procedure to drain the fluid. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. For those who what? might be thinking about doing this and wanting to know the mm-hmm. rest, what did that feel like? Like, what were your symptoms mm-hmm. when that happened? So I, w- I, the same day of the procedure and leading up to it, I felt great. Um, the same day of the procedure, I went furniture shopping with my parents, which maybe was a mistake. I <laughs> maybe should have gone home, but I noticed that day I felt nauseous towards the end of the day and I couldn't eat. And I just started feeling pain. So I called the clinic and let them know. They prescribed me some medications. And I still, throughout the night, was like, I just feel terrible. But I had never had a surgery or a procedure or really anything medical, like any medical issues. So I just thought, you know, this must be normal. You know, I had a procedure today. I'm supposed to kind of feel out of it, kind of, you know, crummy. Um, But that wasn't the case. I should have known better. And I woke up the next day. I was like, I feel really bad. Let me go get a green juice. So I go to Nectar thinking a green juice is going to heal me, but that wasn't the case because I threw up in their bathroom. I I called my mom and I was like, please come get me. And she brought me home. And then that day I couldn't get out of bed. That night I spent on the bathroom floor throwing up for multiple hours multiple hours until finally I realized I needed to call the clinic and I was only 20 years old at the time and didn't realize that um on-call doctors existed so I thought I had to wait until Monday and my mom was like oh wow (laughs) my mom was like okay look he called their like answering service and I was like what so I got the phone I called and Dr. Goldstein was, he was like, you have to come in immediately. And I was like, okay. So I go in wow. and I, I had to get help even, you know, getting into the clinic and the nurse, oh, they opened the clinic on a Sunday. It was the nurse, the doctor and myself. And the nurse took my pulse and my blood pressure in both separate things that she used to measure them, both read zero. And I was like, what? what is, what does this mean? What? And I was like, oh out of it. She was, having to like, she was kind of having to hold me up to even do this. And so I was like, okay. So she, she just kind of looked at me and she tried again. And then literally both machines or both things that she used read zero a second time. And so I was like, oh okay, this is kind of weird. Like, I'm not too sure what's going on, but I still, I'm like, I'm out of it. I've been throwing up all night. I feel terrible. I gained five pounds overnight uh, in fluid weight. Wow. I I looked probably six months pregnant and so I'm just sitting there and she does everything a a third time and a third time it says zero on both separate things and I looked at her and I out loud said am I already dead and she (laughs) I mean honestly that's the question going through my head seriously (laughs) I I 
she was like I, I'm not sh- she, obviously she said no but she was like something <laughs> I'm not sure she was, like, yeah, she was like I'm not sure like these are acting up like let me readjust so she readjusts and then does it a fourth time and then she was I don't even know what they said she was just like okay yeah we have to get you on the operating table like now um so they bring me back and they put me on the table and they put me in the stirrups and they in oh my goodness they obviously at that time they didn't have time to call anyone in to put me to sleep or anything so I so you're just awake I'm just awake and I've been throwing up and I feel terrible and I just thought I was dead and I and like you know TV shows or movies where everything is just like sterile white like pitch white like just completely the lights and everything is just like so white that it just feels you know like in a medical setting where it's just everything is completely white and it just feels like daunting that's like how it felt like everything was white like and I'm just laying there and I feel terrible and he the doctor you know warns me that he's going to insert the needle to start draining the fluid and he does and I laid there for 45 minutes and I counted he took out and reinserted the needle 12 times because it was clotting and I had so much blood and fluid they had to empty the container and come back and continue to empty um, oh my God. blood and fluid. And I, I made the mistake of looking up and I saw oh. the, the container full of blood and fluid. Oh, and oh no, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to have like an advisory on this episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Is it- no, 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 okay. no, no, I hate it. It's fine, it's fine. No, I no, can, wow. I can reel it back. No, 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 no keep no, going, keep, keep going. going. Okay, okay. So I, yeah, I'm just laying there and I, I asked him, I was like, can you please stop? And he was just like, I can't stop. And I'm like, I, I'm seriously, I thought I've never in my entire life thought I was going to die until that point. Like I so strongly believed I was just going to die right then and there because of the pain. And like, I felt like I didn't even feel like I existed. It's really hard to explain, but it just felt terrible. And, you know, I, with all that being said, I ended up you know, recovering for like a week or two. The, again, so the eventually clinic- they, so they took all this, this liquid out or this, mm-hmm. um, this food out and then they sent you home or did you go to a hospital? So, no. So they brought me back and gave me IVs, uh, fluid and just made sure that I was okay. And then gave me medication and I went home. I felt, I still felt terrible. I couldn't hold any food down. I, you know, ended up back in the clinic two or three times and they just continued to, you know, give me fluids and test everything and monitor the fluids with sonograms and, you know, all of those things. But they, my nurse coordinator at the time, she called my house. I couldn't answer the phone at the time. I was asleep or, you know, in pain. Um, sure. But they, she had called every day to check on me. She was, she was amazing. She is mm. also the reason why I wanted to be in the industry because I wanted to help people the way that she helped me during that time period. Because right. she, you know, even in when I was coming, having to come into the clinic, she was holding my hand. She was having conversations with my family. She was doing everything that she could to make sure that I was comfortable. And the first thing she said yeah. after I came into the clinic, 
after going through the second procedure of them draining the fluid, she looked at me and said, please don't even consider or think about your second match. Please heal. This is a tabled conversation. We're not going to speak about that. Don't even let that cross your mind. And so um, she... I, you know, she just made me very comfortable with the entire process and the entire situation and donating. And she answered all of my questions throughout the entire process because I had a lot. But yeah, yeah, I how, eventually how got did better. you go back to after that? Okay. I was gonna say, what so when the world made you want to go back a second time? Yeah, <laughs> everyone asks me that, including the doctors and the clinic. Um, the genuine, honest answer is a few things. So. The first is the couple that I had donated it to. They, I woke up the day of my procedure, the first procedure for my egg retrieval, and there were it was a, there was a huge bouquet of flowers as well as a huge plant, and they had mm. two notes on them, um, just mentioning you know, thank you for doing this, like you're changing our lives. And I woke up mm. crying from my procedure. I was like, oh my goodness. So that feeling like was something that you know, I had never felt before and was something that was so rewarding. And I knew again, like how important family is to me and how much I wanted to give that back to others and just having such a great experience with them. And it's honestly such a great experience with the clinic and mm-hmm. just really trusting the doctors and my coordinator and that besides the family and that experience and that feeling, it really was my, my coordinator. Her name was Sarah. She, I just trusted her because of how comforting she was and how comfortable she made me and how how much she took care of me and really walked me through the whole process. And it it didn't feel like, she really felt like she cared about me. And she, yeah. it, it was, I wasn't just a part of a process. It was like, she, you know, shared her genuine concern and, you know, helped, like I said, walk me through the whole process. So just seeing how much she cared and how well you know, she did in her role and everything. It made me be more confident moving forward with a second cycle. And because I had half committed um, to them, I, I wanted to follow through with that. And they had told me, you know, this isn't, you know, we can, we have your results and we have, you know, your medical records and how you responded to X, Y, Z, and we can avoid that moving forward. And they also oh. made sure that every sonogram and every appointment that I had for my second cycle was done specifically with the doctor, not a medical assistant or a sonographer. Um, everything was closely monitored and everything was reviewed and done through an act like the doctor. Yeah. And was it true? Did you ever experience complications with the other no, five? I have, I have not had any complications since. Wow. And were they all five through the same clinic with the same doctor? No. So my first three were with fertility specialist of Texas. So that was all the same. I had different doctors throughout that, throughout the clinic. And then I've done three donations with the the Genesis group outside Mm -hmm. of fertility specialist of Texas. So that's been three separate clinics. Yeah. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. So I guess in total, it's four separate clinics. So the first three were with one and then the next three were with different ones. Um, and why, when and how and why, what inspired you to get into working to help others do this? And how did you make that transition to do so? So I knew when I went to my very first appointment that the consultation with Fertility Specialists of Texas, I knew 
that when I walked in and I saw how full the room was, it like broke my heart. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't something that I feel is super, you know, talked about or people are aware of how many people struggle with infertility with whatever that may look like for them. And I didn't realize like how like hush hush or taboo of a topic or how hard it was for people to talk about. And I just saw how many people were in the room and I was like, oh my gosh, like I want to help in a capacity that is beyond being a donor because that's not a career and that's not something I can do forever. And I just knew like instantly, like this is what I wanted to do. And during my second donation, that was something that I had mentioned to one of the employees at the clinic. It was um, Angela Hartshorn, if you're familiar, and she is amazing and lovely. And Mm -hmm. she told me, she was like, I think you have what it takes. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm excited you're interested in the industry. And then we just kind of had a conversation about, you know, how I would get there and what that looks like. And then a week later, can I ask you to share that advice in case Mm -hmm. anyone else is listening and thinking I might want to go into the industry? Mm -hmm. What did she recommend to get there? So she recommended a few things. Uh, She recommended going the route of being a medical assistant if I was interested in being in a clinic. And she said that most of like her best case managers or coordinators were started as MAs. So Mm -hmm. that was one thing that she had mentioned. And then she also mentioned that sometimes with working with an agency, you know, they don't require or expect the medical background, but maybe experience. And since I had that experience as a donor, that that could be an option. And Mm -hmm. then about a week later, she called me on my cell phone and she was like, Hey, I have, you know, a personal question for you. Do you mind taking like a personal call? I was like, of course. And she was like, okay, I have exciting news. I have um, a good friend that is interested in, you know, she called for a referral for her agency. Would you be interested in an interview? I was like, oh my goodness, no way. Like this is something that I thought would take a while or even years because I thought, you know, maybe I would have to start going to school to be a medical assistant or, you know, kind of wait for more experience or I didn't know. I thought it was something that was kind of out of reach. But then within a week, I had the interview, and here I am two and a half years later. Wow. So so the answer is sometimes a little bit of luck helps, too. Yes. (laughs) I've told Angela over and over again, she changed my life in ways she will never know. I am so thankful to her and the Genesis Group for the opportunity to continue to be in the industry and to help families and, you know, donors as well. That's something that I cared about because I know like I mentioned, like how I felt being a donor and wanting support and receiving that and how amazing my coordinator was that I wanted to be able to give that back. And I've definitely had the opportunity to do that. Amazing. And transitioning to working in the area, was there anything that really surprised you, like being an insider now versus donating that you learned or saw that you would be open to sharing? Mm -hmm. So, Hmm. The, it did. Okay. So it surprised me a little bit about how sometimes I love all of my donors, but sometimes getting responses is a little bit trickier than I would have expected. Uh, 
just because I am, I was, I had so many questions and I was so like precise and on top of everything. And I, I was so, so, so eager to, yeah. you know, be involved and be a donor, but sometimes people, you know, look around or are interested just to get more information, but aren't fully committed. So I think yeah. that was just a little bit surprising to me, knowing that, I mean, obviously everyone has their preferences and makes decisions on what they're comfortable with and what they would like to do. But because I was so ready and so eager, I expected to be working with every, like, you know, everyone th- with the same, which is not to say. Yeah, also feeling eager and responsive. Mm-hmm. Our donors are great. They, once they're matched and, you know, once they're going through that, it's amazing and they're great. But sometimes just the interest versus like following through. Sometimes I was just a little bit shocked because like I said, I was so eager. So sometimes when we do have people just curious or just asking questions, I love, you know, talking to anyone about egg donation. So I love doing that, but sometimes I expect people to move forward that mm-hmm. are comfortable, which is completely fine. But I, it was just different to me because I, I thought that there would be much more interest or much more people who were comfortable with the process. But I've found that to some people or people around me, even whoever it may be, are a little bit uncomfortable or don't fully understand or know anything about the process. Yeah. And when you're working with people asking these initial questions, kind of wondering, what are the most common questions you get that you're answering? Ooh, okay, so there's a lot. One of the most common sure. questions I get is probably just in general. So outside of work, more of like personally, when I explain that I'm a donor or I bring it up to someone or it comes up, or even when people are asking like, oh, what do you do? And I explain, they're like, what? What does that mean? You know, how does that happen? How does that work? So it's a lot of initial like explaining the whole process and explaining how we get here and, you know, how you become an egg donor and what that looks like in the procedure and the process. And then as well as, so does that mean you have a kid or, you know, what think more of just not understanding that. And one thing I tell people or one way I use like explain that is, well, no, I don't, I don't have a kid. Um, his, His parents have a kid. Their, their parents have a kid. I don't have a kid. I just helped them to have a kid. And one thing I say is, you know, you wouldn't look at someone who was adopted and look at their parents and say, oh, well, those aren't your parents or that's, this is someone else's kid. And then people are like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that's something that I do. That question of, do you have a kid? So it sounds like you do know kind of the results and, some of the mm-hmm. families that you help, whether they have children, um, are you are you in contact with them? Have you met mm-hmm. the children? So I've done six cycles, and only one of them was anonymous. Some the 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 openness and closeness kind of varies in between the rest mm-hmm. of the, the five. But my very first cycle, we are completely open, and I have met the child twice. I actually got to take my mom to meet him as well. Aww. And nice. the, mm-hmm, the couple and the child are like, they are a part of my family at this point. We are very close. It's been 
three years now and I've spent, you know, they've been so amazing with involving me in the whole process. And, you know, I've seen the child be, you know, I've seen him from a literal egg to now a one-year-old. Um, I've seen the whole process. I've seen all of the in-betweens. I've seen the, uh, you know, embryos. I've seen the sonograms. I've seen all of the, you know, hard work and emotions and all of that that got him here. And, you know, I that's something that I wanted. I'm, I've also found something I, that I've also been kind of shocked by was the amount of people who want something that's completely anonymous just because I'm so the opposite. So I want mm-hmm. to be as involved as I can to a point where I've, the intended parents, I, I may be the one, you know, testing them on how open um, they want to be just because I, there's nothing I would say no to. And wow. that's not something that's common. Um, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, adore all of my families. Um, there have been three children born and I've only met the first, but I do plan on meeting the rest to whatever capacity that my intended parents will allow. But yeah, with specifically with my first family, we are very close. Like I said, I, I got to bring my mom to meet them and that was an amazing experience for everyone. And I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. So we did have a prior guest, um, this amazing attorney, Amanda Troxler, who also was a multi-time donor. And she mm-hmm. talked about one of the things she encountered was parents being afraid that the donor mm-hmm. would steal the child or mm-hmm. that the relationship would be parent-child and the parents mm-hmm. would feel replaced. Um, and she joked about you know parents thinking this is like, uh, a long game, long con, kidnapping So I have to ask you: Are you planning on kidnapping any of these children? This is actually so funny that you ask me this because one, first of all, no, I'm not, not at all. But <laughs> good, okay, few, few. Okay. Yes, no, no, this is not my plan. But one thing I do say in my consults with the donors that I work with, with the agency, is they ask, you know, what's in my legal contract? What does that consist of? You know, and I'm going over that with them. And one thing I do say is it, it mentions parental rights and the fact that you're not going to try to kidnap the kid in there. And so that is something I say very often. But no, I personally, and I've never experienced, and I hope that no no one is trying to kidnap the children as, as a donor. But I, I do enjoy him and I, I love him and I enjoy visiting him. But I, I very much at this point, don't want a child in my life right now so I'm glad to leave him home with his parents (laughs) nice um so other other issues I know that you talked about openness um we are seeing a kind of a big movement of donor conceived persons Mm -hmm. who are getting the chance to have their voices heard and how important it is to them to know their genetic origins to have access to Mm -hmm. medical information that's vital to them can you speak to your Thoughts. I know that you're very pro-open from your perspective, but mm-hmm. what are your thoughts kind of working as a coordinator, working in the area about kind of the, the child's rights and positions in, in all of this? Mm-hmm. So that's something that I've... Hmm. So, so I, I've seen every different type of you know, preference from the intended parents and the donors based on what they prefer. And I, my position is I can't, I can't tell them 
what to make their preference. So if they want open or if they want closed or if the intended parents feel that it's best for you know their children to have a closed and anonymous donation, I can't speak to that. But I can say for me and my donations and what I move forward with and what I want from that is to be open just because I, you know, it's personal to me. That's what I want. But also I do feel that the child, it is important to have their medical information. And if they ever, you know, are curious or they do want to know, I think that it's important to have the access. But I, I wouldn't say that I think every, you know, donation should be required to be open. I, I don't know. I I guess I kind of go back and forth. Um, but I guess we will just see in the industry how things progress and where that goes. But, you know, my, my donations have been open besides the one, um, but that was because that they were in China and I was just comfortable with that being the case. I have considered reaching out and letting the clinic know that I would be open if they were and just kind of checking in to see if the intended parents were interested just because at this point now I'm curious and I have heard donor conceived people speak at conferences. And I think that the opinion typically ends up being that they would like the access to that information. Yeah, definitely. You, you alluded to it early on that, you know, as a first time donor that you didn't know you could ask for things, you know, like what your preferences were. Uh, It's, hard it's a hard position to be in right when you're coming in to to donate and then it's a hard position on the intended parent side and nobody really knows what it's okay to ask for or what it's not okay to ask for what are some things that you see that are worrisome to especially to donors because that's the side that you work on a lot that that they're either timid about asking or afraid to or that that they shouldn't be afraid to like raise their voice around mm-hmm. so I always make sure that I let the donors know that they should advocate for themselves as well as I will with whatever that may look like for them. And one thing that I find and found myself as a donor was, you know, you come into this not knowing anything. And, you know, consultations and your coordinator and your agency are kind of how you get this information and how you learn about it. You don't know what you don't know, right? Yes, you (laughs) don't know what you don't know. And so going into it, I, you know, just make sure that my donors know that whatever they can think of, please ask because you don't, like you said, you don't know unless you know. And I had no idea that I could have a say in who I was donating to or how, or even something as silly as the fact that I wanted a rental car um, and just for traveling cycles and, you know, things like that. And I just like to bring that up and make sure that the donors are aware so that way they can make a decision that they're comfortable with and they can move forward with something you know that feels right for them so i if a donor kind of mentions something about you know wondering about being closed or open or what that looks like i make sure that that they know that that can look like whatever they want for themselves so you know they have a say in this as well as the intended parents and you know typically people, I think, see egg donation as something that is formed around the intended parents, which obviously makes sense and is the case. But, you know, like I said, the donors do get a say and can have a preference in these decisions and in their process and in their own journey as well. So I just like to make sure that I educate 
our donors and make sure they're aware of the fact that they can, you know, have contact with whatever they're comfortable with and whatever that looks like for them and whatever the intended parents agree on and is comfortable for them as well. And if, if that's completely anonymous, then that's completely anonymous. But if it's open to some degree, then it, you know, it looks like that. But just exploring options and kind of sharing my experience and, you know, having them think about what they want and what would be comfortable for them in their life and just making sure they're aware that even small requests, like something I request in my contracts and something that I make sure that the intended parents agree with before I match with them is that I'm not okay with embryo donation just because I want to be aware of where of those embryos are ending up. And with embryo donation, that doesn't necessarily mean that I would have any um, information on that. So I've just made sure that if they are, if the intended parents do want to do something like embryo donation, that I'm included in that decision. And I know, you know, the recipients and I know and can have contact with, you know, the other intended parents. But I just want to make sure and educate donors on the fact that however they feel is considered in this process as well. It's such a good point because I think most donors are like looking at the couple in front of them. They think, oh, I'm helping this family. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize if they don't say something in advance about embryo donation, if they have a good retrieval and there's, you know, 15, 20 embryos and this family has two kids and there could be many, many Mm -hmm. other families that now have Mm -hmm. children that are genetically related to them, which is an amazing thing. But if that's not what you're expecting, that wasn't your intent, your plan going into this, Mm -hmm. that can be, you know, really jarring to to think that that wasn't Mm -hmm. your intention. So that's, that's a great point. Um, Is there anything else that you feel like is really important for intended parents or donors to know in egg donation that we, we haven't touched on? think so. I think the only thing that I can think of kind of referencing something we spoke on earlier was, you know, the question that I get a lot with, oh, you have a kid or does that feel like your kid or, you know, does it feel like you have a baby when you go visit him and, and things like that? I, I don't feel that way. And I've, I've actually had donors who have come to me and I've actually experienced this myself with people that I've dated saying, I don't, I don't know about dating you, or I don't know if this is a good decision for me because then if we get married and we have kids, then, you know, you're going to have other kids, you know, someone else is going to have your kids. And I, I've had people ask me before, what would you do if, you know, someone you were with wasn't comfortable or okay with your decision? And my answer is always, well, I, I just wouldn't be. Um, I wouldn't be okay with being with someone who wasn't supportive of that decision because of, you know, that's been my whole life for the past three years. And it's something that I care very deeply about. And, um, this point is now my career. So I couldn't be with someone who wasn't okay with that, but just, you know, educating people and having them experience and see that it just because you're a donor, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be this thing where it's like, oh, you have other kids out there or, oh, 
you know, it does, it's not a negative thing. It's, you know, a beautiful thing to help people create a family. And I've never once sat with my intended parents or the child and thought, oh, this is my child. Like, it's very much their child. And it, yeah. they just have been so gracious to let me love him and them and, you know, be a part of that. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to forming that relationship and continuing the relationship with the rest of my intended parents once they are able and um, having children as well. But I mean, I love that point to, for donors to think through, you know, the people they date or the people they marry mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. You know, may have these strong feelings on this and that you really want someone who's supportive of you mm-hmm. and what's important to you. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, some, some of the heartbreaking stories I've heard, cause I was mentioning how there are a lot of donor conceived people who are getting their voices heard. And there are these stories of, you know, I know one that's coming to mind in particular that she did a DNA test and she found mm-hmm. her, in this case, it was a sperm donor um, and connected with her biological father. And they were having this great you know, mm-hmm. connection and relationship. And it was the spouse of the donor and family members mm-hmm. who were like, no, 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 you, mm-hmm. you can't have this relationship. You can't be in contact with your genetically mm-hmm. connected offspring. Um, and that's really heartbreaking that even though that person is willing to have that openness in the relationship mm-hmm. that the spouse or partner might be like, no, we don't, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, that's just something I wouldn't be okay with just because you know, like I said, the first family is such a big part of my life now to a point where they've invited my entire family, siblings included, stepdad included, to visit their house, like to go fly and Love stay that. with them mm. in their entire, like it, I, I mentioned like, oh, I'm going to have to get an Airbnb. And he was like, no, we have plenty of air mattresses. Like they <laughs> you know, were so amazing. And I couldn't have asked for a better first cycle. Um, but, yeah. you know, that's something that people around me and in my life, especially people that I'm dating are going to have to be okay with. And mm-hmm. I'm okay. I'm okay with that because it's something that is. And are you single? Should we put that out there for the. <laughs> <laughs> I, I currently am not. Um, uh, but... Okay. But he's cool. He, <laughs> They're cool. Yeah. He, yes, no, he, um, he is. That's one of the first things actually. That's one of the first things I tell most people. I'm um, just anyone in passing, whatever it may be. That's one of the first things I'm quick to talk about. But especially with dating, because I have had resistance, that is something that I do mention up front. Um, but with my boyfriend now, he 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 was like, "What? People have had a problem with this? I think that's really cool." I was like, "Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, oh, there yeah. you go. Props. Yeah, Good job. Right? <laughs> yes. And he. I mean, even when I've visited." he asks for photos and all of that. So he's super Aww. great with, with all of that, but it's what I like want. Okay. And we won't try to set you up by podcast then. He sounds like a good okay. guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's a keeper. He's a keeper. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, we so appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. your story, your thoughts, all this information. I think it's really helpful for people who are considering um, any part of this this world to get information and hear from people like you. So thank you for mm-hmm. taking the time of to share. Of course. I, I appreciate it. I, it's something that I care about deeply and I really enjoy talking about. And so having the opportunity is amazing. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Kayla, for joining us and sharing your story. And if you too want to share your story, we definitely encourage you 
to reach out, you can call us, you can post yes. on our Facebook. I feel like there's many, many options. We, Jen, we do have know. a Facebook group. Oh, yes. So um, we phone, right? You can call yeah. 303-997. Great. One nine zero three. One nine zero three. Got it. Yes. Definitely should call because almost all the number calls I get through there still are car warranty. Um, I'm getting a lot of insurance related things now. So, you know, like I think last week alone I had like four or five in a row and every time I get really excited and they're just junk ads. So come on, somebody call and leave me a real message. I know. Uh, so I like get super excited every time I see it come through. Uh, the other thing people can do is join our Facebook group. And uh, if you are not already a member of it, definitely make sure that you answer the questions because I will not allow people to join who do not answer the questions. They're super simple. Like, what is your favorite episode? You know. So I think that most of you can handle it. Uh, or even you if you said you tell the truth, you know? exactly, exactly. And I definitely it's designed to screen out some people who maybe literally just say, I want to put a baby in people like that's actually I get that answer legitimately quite a bit. So um, those I decline. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but come join us in our Facebook group because I try to keep the strange people or not as uh, the more suspect people out of the group. But, you, but you're fine. If you're strange, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I, you can personally okay. be strange because I'm personally very, very strange. And, you know, I, I'm allowed in there. But I'm just saying, if your answers don't meet the um, basics of I am reading test, <laughs> you might not make it in. Uh, but, and that um, number for you one more time is 303-997-1903. Did you memorize that or did you take a note? No, I looked it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Be smart like Ellen. You can go to our webpage, look it up. You can see our merch there. But a huge, huge thank you. Oh, wow. Did I'm sorry. Did we talk about if your dog could talk at the beginning and Teddy he just saying, said, hey. Like, okay, wrap it up. Come on. Okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry, Ted. He needs either a walk or something. So um, thank you to everyone. Thank you to Melissa, to Tyler, to Amanda on our team. And of course, thank you to all of you who are here and listening to us.